0: Welcome to the Painted Target Podcast. episode 15 the painted target podcast i'm jason at aware integrate on twitter awareness com. i'm here again with nick he's been on here a few times now and he's a uh, biochemist also an esoteric what do we call it student uh teacher learner I don't, we're, I don't know whatever we want to call it whatever cool word they'll come out with some new word in the you know new age community tomorrow we'll just use that one um, you know
1: what a word that's come up before in uh in the esoteric realm i think is probably a good one is wonder you know you're oh, you're yeah. wandering through the various realms of truth as you yeah. want to call
0: it yep trying to find them yeah so today's episode we want to talk about it's going to be a heavy one we want to talk about the polarity of life and death and actually as I'm saying that Nick I'm thinking maybe the polarity between life and death even though you could say it's all the same thing but I'm going to start off with a couple stories that kind of brought this forward us doing this is had a, had a dog in my family that Ended up having to be, it was put down and then there was a, another dog in my family that was put down. Now, have a dog, wouldn't really consider myself a dog guy. I've only had one. Um, you know, I'm not as into it as some people are, but definitely animals are around, you know, part of my life. And it's funny because as we see with animals, especially dogs, people bond to them. You know, as Nick knows, Nick has Nick has a dog. People bond to them. They're very important to them. We can get into the whole conversation of, you know, man's best friend. And, you know, I even had it happen today. It's like my dog wants nothing more than to just be around me 24-7, doesn't ask for shit. You know, all the, the, you know, beautiful stereotypes we say with um, animals. So, obviously, people have to put them down. It's not a happy time. But it was interesting because while this was happening to two different family members, a couple of them had young kids and they were asking the question, you know, they were asking it, Nick, without asking it, but they were essentially saying, what's the point? What's the point of, you could almost say life, having this dog, having the good times, and then the dog does something wrong and it has to be put down or the dog is old and something happened and it has to be put down. So one of them was describing it like, you know, these are younger kids. Um, the dog's here in the morning. Everything's fine. Take it in for an appointment. It's not fine. The dog never comes home. And then you're sitting in your house with all these toys and all this stuff laying around and you're like, you know, what the hell just happened? So it could apply to people too. excuse me obviously but this was interesting to me so I was kind of contemplating the fact of the polarity between having these relationships with animals people and it being something that's very intense you know we build lives we build relationships we build all these things and then one day it's over so it's an interesting dichotomy if you can look at it without being, you know, stuck in emotion because most people can't even go by a graveyard without feeling weird. You know, if you if you contemplate this <laughs> without that emotional connection, it's extremely interesting. And then the next point I was going to make that ties into everything is I saw a picture and I'm sure people listening I've probably seen this picture. I have no idea where it is, where to get it from, but it was supposedly some picture of the year or something like that, and it was of a, I'm not, I can't even remember. It was like a doe, you know, a small deer, a female deer, and it's its babies that it had were basically in the crossfire of, you know, two predators. So they were the predators were about to get him. I guess the animal, the mother, jumped in the middle of the predators. And in this picture, the animal is staring straight ahead while these two predators are literally licking her, like just prepping because they're going to rip her apart. And she's just staring at her kids to make sure the kids get away. And the picture was very bizarre because it reminded me of a Disney movie when like the bad... You know, animals come up and they're messing around and they're poking and they're licking their prey. And it's like they haven't done anything yet, but it's coming. And it's a bizarre picture. And supposedly the guy who took it is depressed now or was depressed. You know, it was too much to take or whatever. But it was interesting because it made me think, first of all, a lot of these answers, Nick, are in nature. That right there could be looked at from a perspective of okay in nature the only thing that matters is survival that animal was most likely not sitting there in its head saying man i'm really going to miss my kids um it's neat that they're running away in the sunset i hope this doesn't hurt I, i'm not i don't think animals are that self-conscious so that's what they're doing so it showed a survival intuitive internal thing where hey In order for the species to survive, they need to run away and I need to jump in the middle. And that's it. That's it. But it's an interesting point when it comes to life and death because it still provides us some sort of answer because you could almost argue that all these answers are in nature. That animal was alive that one minute and then something happened and it wasn't. There's no real contemplation behind it. It's just that's what happened. So I, the point is there's a big polarity between life and death. And I think as you know, human beings, we go to a funeral. I was saying this before we went on, Nick, you go to a funeral and you say, oh man, you know, most people say they don't want to go straight up. You don't want, nobody wants to go. And then you get there and you say, yeah, you know, well, he lived a good life. At least he wasn't in pain. And then you're checking your Twitter notifications two minutes later. So it's a huge polarity. But if someone closer to them was there, they wouldn't be able to sleep at night. They'd be crying. They'd be messed up. You know, I've been around a lot of death in my life. You know, some normal, some not. And people can't really grasp it. It's a it's a difficult thing to grasp. So the point of this conversation is that space, that polarity, that space in the middle. So Nick, just give us your opinion on kind of what I'm saying there and the polarity of all this.
1: Sure. Uh, I think, you know, the, the first issue is a pretty basic one is that most people walking around don't actually have any concept of what life is you know, relative to anything else, especially death.
0: Great point. The
1: average yeah. person is walking around and they just are. How many people, you know, I have younger kids and they actually, you know, they've all asked the questions of the who, what, when, where, why. And almost all kids do, but that usually gets shut down or brushed away. And as they get older, it's, eh, you just don't think about that. Even if, you know, if you're in the West and you're following, some, you know, Christian religion or you know whatever religion you're following, even most people who are following an established religion, yeah, you have this picture in your head, but it, it's not a knowing. It's just, well, you know, this is what I'm told, and I'm okay. I'll go with it because I don't really want to go think about that too much. It's scary. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, it, if you think about the process, if you actually have to sit there and contemplate what's, what is my point? You know, th- that's scary because there's the risk that you come up with the answer of nothing. And then, you know, that, that becomes a very nasty feedback cycle for some people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, and I, I, er, go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I don't think it's a, everything I just described is a conscious process. I think it's more subconscious that most people run through that loop without even realizing it.
0: You know, it's funny you brought up the word point because I was thinking of this earlier where I don't actually think that there is a point to life or to living, but that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to live it. I look at it like, well, if you look at the definition of point, you look at a piece of paper, a white piece of paper, and you draw a point in the middle, the background of that piece of paper, the white, is life the point in the middle is not life. In other words, you can't have a point of life or to life because everyone's got their own point. You know, the it, it there isn't one just main thing. You have to subjectively find, I would say, what experience you align with and what you think your mission is and that's what you do because it's, it's really safe to say that I know a lot of esoteric type teachings say this, but the point of life is to experience. And I've said that to people and they go, oh, no, it's not because it's about giving back or it's about, okay, that's an experience. It's all the same. So I don't really think there is, you know, I remember um, Kapil Gupta. He's a guy, he's on Twitter. He wrote a couple books, three books, and they're great. I love them, but they're hard for people to handle. And he makes a comment in one of these books where he says, anything that has a shelf life has no meaning or has no point. And he was talking about life. And I told that to a few people. I may have tweeted it. I did something. And people were kind of like having a fit over that. Like, yeah, it's depressing. It's pessimistic. I'm like, no, you're missing his point, which is you have to apply your own meaning. And it's not going to be the same you know, for everyone else.
1: Well, you know, it's funny if you want to, you know, take a very different angle on this for a moment to uh, contrast it is, you know, if if you look at the more recent understandings of the universe of, you know, deep science and physics is that, you know, we, we really do live in a quantum world. And, you know, one of the things that means is that, for example, if you look at uh, certain types of particles, I'm not I won't go too deep into this, but if you you take certain types of particles, what actual state they're in isn't determined until you observe it. So saying, you know, what's what's the state of that, that object has no meaning until you engage it. So it's the experience, the interaction of the the overall system, you and the particle, that defines it. And in a lot of ways, life is the same way to your point, is that, you know, it, you know, a flame is another good example. What, what's the point to the flame? Well, nothing. The point is it, how it interacts. The objective, the meaning is how it interacts with everything around it. Same for you and I. We could sit on a couch all day and eat Doritos and well, that's one interaction with the world or, you know, you can be a mother, a father, uh, you know, a soldier, whatever, you know, there's unlimited number of paths you can take, but it's that interaction, which defines things for you.
0: Yeah. That's a great word interaction. I never looked at it like that because it's actually, to be honest, it's, it's a better word than experience. I think, because you could almost argue, I was thinking about people that are like nihilists and all these philosophical, philosophical, you know, concepts And it's actually kind of funny because they don't really make any sense. Because if you're on this planet, you know, this ties into interaction and experience. If you're on this planet, you're here. You're here right now. You didn't really have a choice being born in. You're just, you're here. So there has to be a, an interaction with life because why else would you be here? And I don't want to use the word There has to be a point because that's, there needs to be a better word for it. We'll just maybe say a subjective reason to be here because in a lot of ways, I remember being young and thinking, if I'm here and I wake up every day and things happen and things are going on, that is the reason to be here. I don't see what else the reason would be because right now me and you are on a podcast that's the reason to be here you know it kind of ties into the whole now argument that you know people love to say in the spiritual realm live in the now it's like well all we have is the now and that's exactly the point of being here and it's it's funny also and this this is going to go off the rails for a second but i'm going to say it this is also why in my opinion these ancient sages and all these enlightened people say that you never die if you're constantly in the moment. So they're not saying the physical body doesn't die. They're looking at it more or less in the sense, this is how I take it is if you are fully in the present all the time, you're laying in a bed, it's your time to leave, you know, it's coming, but you're fully in the present, man, look at that rose outside. Look at that windowsill. Look at that dog walking by the window and you die it's almost they're basically saying that you're not because you're just in the moment in the moment in the moment then you're not in the moment nothing else exists so it's an interesting take on all this because you have this polarity between life and death but the next point that i wanted to get to is are the answers not sitting right in front of our face already, but they're just so simple that we can't figure them out? Or is it the fact of we build families, we build lives, we build these layers upon layers. I mean, you have a family, you have multiple kids, like all these things going on daily, friends, kids, family, wives, all these things. Is that what makes it so hard? Or is it just so simple we don't want to accept it.
1: I think it's a combination of things. Um, definitely part of it is, you know, so simple, it's a, easy to overlook. But, you know, another point point, the the why of this, I will say is somewhat irrelevant to the current discussion, but especially in the West, you know, I'm, I've, I'm no expert on the East, it's probably similar. But especially in the West, essentially from day one, whether it's intended or not, you know, we are, our culture gives us a definition of life. And that is, it's a, you know, essentially a one-way street from birth to death, and that's it. And yeah, okay, you know, depending on your uh, religious or spiritual beliefs, all right, I'm going to go hang out in heaven or, you know, whatever, Nirvana, you know, whatever works for you. But it's still this, this strange, weird, one-way trip, and you can't look at it too closely, because if you do, you know, once again, it, I'm, this is not intended to attack any one uh, religious text or uh, belief system, but for most people, if you start delving into any of the major religious texts too much, it starts getting real murky and just causing more and more questions you know the answers are there but not easily so for most people you know even if you're sitting there with your your priest or your religious guide next to you it's a rough street for most to try to walk um so you know pardon me you're essentially taught this one picture and that one picture is a problem because you know, by the time I say kids, if you listen to kids, even if you don't have them, if you just listen to kids you're around, you'll, you'll hear them asking these questions. And you'll also notice they constantly get brushed off because most are not comfortable having that discussion. And as a parent who's, I've actually had the discussions and, you know, followed through with my kids on it, it can still be challenging because you don't realize that hey, I've been around for 40 years, so I have this huge conceptual construct in my head that lets me deal with these complex ideas. You know, a seven-year-old doesn't have that, so how do I explain this huge conceptual construct to a seven-year-old? And the issue is, you essentially have to give them a wrong answer, but I've used uh, this analogy with you before with martial arts, you know, with certain techniques, if you teach it to somebody for the first time, you actually teach it kind of raw. Uh, You you would never use that, say, in competition in that form against somebody else. But to facilitate you learning it, since you don't have the larger construct yet, we're going to teach it to you like this. And once you have that basic movement, now we're going to adjust it to the more complex movement, which will make more sense. And that's, it's hard. Most people either aren't willing or, you know, don't have, I mean, let's be blunt. Most people do not have the depth of, you know, it it doesn't have to be answers, just a depth of personal exploration where they've delved into it themselves, where they can even have that conversation with a child.
0: Yeah, that's it. And and it kind of ties back into what you were saying about most people don't know how to live. So that's why death is such a scary thing. And I can, I can remember multiple times in my life asking, the question of why and all this but I can also remember being young and not into any of this stuff real real young and I remember thinking I'm not going to care about death because at that point it's just not going to matter and what I was indirectly saying to myself was I'm going to live a life to where there's really nothing left on the table you know it's like a lot of a lot of people would say that in my old line of work kind of like hey man if i hit 70 75 i'm jumping off a bridge because like i i don't want to deal with i don't want to deal with you know old age and all that but i mean nowadays obviously it's a whole other conversation you can be that age and still be in relatively good shape and all that but the point is um, i can remember asking those questions and thinking man it's actually really simple but there's these pieces that hold us back from it being so simple. So one thing that keeps popping in my head, and this this will be a good. I mean, we kind of just touched on it, but it's a good question to put towards you, because you have a family and you have you know multiple layers to, we'll say your you know daily life and social structure, and what cuz there's going to be people listening to this where they're thinking okay that that's all well and good but you still have these lives you still have these people you still have all this stuff going on and what is the point if it just you die and all it would one day whenever it is it's like the story i told you offline a little while ago when i went by that one graveyard it was like a veterans graveyard and there was all these um basically stones next to each other and they were all husband and wife, veterans and usually both of them were veterans and I this was early on before I really hit went down this path and I can remember thinking the same thing. what the hell is the point? These people built 60 year lives together, did everything together, you know most likely obviously it's not all pretty, but you know did all this stuff together and then they're sitting here in a box. I mean, that's that's some polarity. That is a big thing. So it took me a few years after that to finally find my answer. But when I talk about all these layers, the family, the friends, the life, the pictures, that now it's social media, you know, these this just world that we build. How <laughs> is How is someone supposed to deal with death with all that stuff?
1: You know... I think the key to that comes back to something we've talked about before, which is, do you have an external focus or an internal focus? If you have an external focus, I'm sure there's a way, but I don't general, I, I don't really see a way that you can really answer the question of death if you're externally focused, because from my perspective, you're always going to run into the, the nillest issue. There's no goddamn point. Screw it all. Whereas If you're focused internally if you define yourself by your internal state not what's being fed to you by the world whether it's tv twitter your neighbor bitching about some politics or whatever or you know something at work that's driving you nuts i mean if you don't let that define you if that's if that's think of it as a river you know when you're swimming through that water you don't see yourself as a river so whether it's clean or dirty doesn't infect your internal state the the water could be you know like like georgia river you know brown mud water and uh it doesn't change your internal state you are you you know that's somebody who looks inward versus somebody who looks outward you know it would be like a hypochondriac swimming in that same water oh my god like i'm gonna scrub my skin off because you know now i'm just as dirty as that river was so you know looking externally like that you know it's challenging at best to find an answer. But if you're focused internally, I think it's very different because all those, you know, confusing uh, signals, you know, conflicting, you know, this, that constantly changing, it's all there no matter what. But it's it's noise that you choose to engage as you see fit. Or as, you know, in your case, as you pointed out in my situation, is essentially necessary. You know, I have to deal with certain things to keep the family going, whether it's, you know, making sure the finances are taken care of, or somebody's where they need to be, or you know, maintaining my relationship with my wife, the whole nine yards. <clears throat> but from the internal standpoint, you know, you're you're the eye of the hurricane. So you know, yes, you're always going to have that chaos spinning around you. Sometimes more than others, and uh, you know, to push that analogy a little bit you know a hurricane will shed its eye wall normally it's, it's that picture of the crystal clear center And sometimes the eye wall changes and when that happens the center kind of gets cloudy too and we all go through phases like that you and I were talking about that the other day like the last couple of weeks were you know I think both of us and some other people we know were all just like dude I just kind of had to take a step back and just kind of recenter myself it just seemed yeah. like there was a lot of you know a lot noise.
0: of a people reporting that too this month
1: but uh you know bringing that back to the the death question is well if that's your center and there's one other piece you need here there are two pieces you have to be able to look internally and the other piece and this is this is something that i've explained to my children and i think you were a little bit surprised because i told you about this and I think kids actually grasp this way easier than adults because they don't have all the inbuilt belief systems yet. Yeah, so I'm not saying you're I'm not saying you're feeding a child a belief system because I, I do not feed my children belief systems. I give them information and I say, you need to think about this. Ask all the questions you want. We can talk about it anytime, but you need to come up with an answer that works for you. You may not agree with me, but you need to come up with an answer that, and you may agree with me, but it's got to be your answer. So, you know, from that, what I explained to them to help them get that answer besides the internal state is that, and I, I don't use these words, but the concept I explained to them is that stasis is death. So, you know, think about it is, you know if you don't have oxygen reacting with the heat of the wick, the candle doesn't burn. There's no light, there's no flame, there's nothing. You have to be running that reaction. Um, You know, you see this in in thermodynamics, um, in science, engineering. I mean, it's how your engine works. It's how life works. If you don't have a reaction going from point A to point B, you don't have life. Nothing happens. So, you know, one uh, one phrase that people have potentially heard that they'll be familiar with is heat death. So, you know, people ask the question, how does the universe end, right? And there's different theories on how it can end. And one way is that everything just keeps spreading out until there's no energy left to run any reactions of any sort, whether it be a star or a single single cell organism. And at that point, when there is zero reaction in a system, it's heat death. There is no possible form of anything. It's absolute stillness, you know, throughout all existence. Yeah, a, a less extreme version is absolute zero. If you chill something to absolute zero, um, nothing moves, not even individual atoms. Um, they are absolutely standing still. There's there's no energy there. So you, you, they can't react. You have nothing, you don't have life. Life is a reaction. And whenever you have a reaction, you have, you, know, you if somebody really wants to be a pain here, they can point out some exceptions but generally speaking, you have to have a beginning and you have to have an ending. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you have a reaction, the point of the reaction is the reaction. I, I, that sounds circular, but if you think about it, what's the point of the flame? The point of the flame was to have the flame. Maybe you wanted it for light, maybe you wanted to use it to start another fire, but still the reason you lit it was because you wanted that flame there. You know. So that flame's purpose is to simply exist. Now, if you think about it from that perspective, imagine each of us was our own you know source, our own supreme being, and we've created our own little universe with our you know our own little people in them. Well, what's their point? Well, their point is simply to exist because when we created them, maybe I wanted to try some scenario out or see what happens. So literally their point is simply to exist and generate experience. Because when I created this little universe, for whatever reason, I wanted to see it. it. As silly as it sounds, it's no different than lighting the flame of a candle. Its point is simply to be there as the flame. It will have a beginning and it will have an end.
0: Yeah, and it's it goes back to the word you said, cyclic, where it's also a big argument. Well, it's not an argument, but a big discussion just in duality you know, good, bad, up and down, hot, cold in general, where it's so simple. But if you didn't have heat, you wouldn't know what cold was. If you were never cold, you wouldn't care about heat. So it it goes back into life in the sense of there's going to be goods, there's going to be bad, there's going to be up and down. That's life. And then eventually it ends. But that is the point in itself. I remember somebody wrote it could have been a philosopher, it could have been just some guy I was reading. You know, the only reason why life has any substance is because of death. If you didn't think that life was ever going to end, you wouldn't treat it as serious. It's the same thing with like a school project, it's due in three weeks, you do it the night before. You know, it's, we don't take things serious without it. And it's almost like whoever you want to call them, God, the creator, source, whoever, it's almost like he said, well, you know, these people aren't going to get it unless I, unless I throw this in there. But once again, it ties into, this is what I wanted to get into next is nature. So Oh, I can't remember where I read. it. You know, this is a problem, Nick. I read so much, I can't remember where I'm, <laughs> I'm reading half of this stuff. But the where did he 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 said something? I think it was a philosopher. And he's basically like, you know, look, you don't see trees and and you know stuff in the forest being very being very. Oh, I can't think of the word like. A tree falls, it falls. A tree next to it falls. Eh, Maybe the one next to it doesn't fall. Things are just kind of happening. They're just kind of going the way they go. They're not very proficient, at least on the outside. And it made me think, you know, that's just how it is. A tree, I've written about this before. If you're sitting in your house, you know, like me in the middle of the woods, and I'm having a bad day, I don't know, a fight with a lady, something like that. You think that tree out in the woods gives a shit that I'm having that fight? The point is they're simply just being and that is life. That's what they do. And you can go into nature as, you know, you said this the other day, and it's an automatic restart. You know, I went outside today. It's been some weird weather up here on the mountain and I mean, I'm blown away by it. You walk through the woods for two minutes and you go, oh, okay. There's the answers to, there's basically every answer to life sitting right here. If you could see it, (laughs) I mean, if you could see it, it's there. Trees are dead. Trees are alive. Some fall, the ones that die, the animals use it. The ground uses it. Then another one grows. You know, it's like, I I picture this analogy of, I saw this once driving by um, a graveyard somebody was buried there and right at the foot or on top I don't know what it was a tree grew and I remember thinking if that's not the biggest piece of symbolism you've ever seen in your life where someone's buried in the ground and then something alive comes out I mean once again nature so it seems that the biggest problem we have is more or less egoic because we're so concerned about the me not the I We're concerned about the story me made and the people around me that we can't let go of it. But if you let go of that and you look at everything for what it is, it kind of seems like the answers are there because nature is in a cycle. And it's like what happens when you drive home at night and you kill 3000 bugs on your windshield? You know, you're killing (laughs) you're killing stuff. Why aren't you crying about that? So that's why I thought this conversation is interesting is because there's such a big space between, oh, there's a cockroach on the ground. I'm going to kill it. But then I go, I get bad news for someone in my family and I can't move for three days. It's like, yeah, but life is life and death is death. So the only part that I can see that kind of messes all of this up is just the ego. It's the me it's us thinking that we're special we have too much self we know we know too much we're very self-conscious so we're these people or these animals that know we're alive know we're thinking we can think about thinking and we know we're going to die and it adds this huge space of polarity
1: it, it does um you know another aspect and i'm kind of repeating something else we touched on earlier is that you know we're we're taught we're we're given various belief constructs and I, I don't necessarily mean religious just general understandings of the world and you know when they work it's great i mean you know that's how we go from being born to being able to use and build technology today you know that was unimagined a hundred years ago because somebody else is giving us a model of the world that has been built by hundreds of generations before us. The problem is that if there is error in that model, trying to undo that is extremely difficult, and it can lead lead you to crash if you can't figure out personally how to adjust your model of the world. Um, an example of that could be. You know, the the basic physics everybody learns in elementary school and high school, like you know, Newtonian physics. I have a catapult that has a rock and I can calculate how far that goes. Well, if you try to use the same physics to send a rocket to the moon or to Mars, you'll completely miss because that physics is actually an approximation. And it it works in our everyday life, sitting here on the Earth. Um, For all intents and purposes, it's dead on. But when you start going to other frames of reference, other energy levels, and I don't mean esoteric, I just mean literal energy, you know, speed, velocity, energy is involved. It's not nearly as accurate as you'd like to think. So, you know, I try to send a probe to to Mars and the thing freaking misses and I'm losing my mind. Oh, my God, what happened? You know, it's a... A and B aren't matching up anymore because I can calculate my catapult, but my rocket doesn't work. What's going on? You know, that's, that's a literal case of, well, I have to adjust my literal physical model and figure it out. You can do the same thing with this. You know, once again, you you think of the the Western model we all grow up with. I won't go through that whole thing again. One place that some Eastern philosophies definitely have slightly better models, I'll say, is to your point, stepping on a cockroach versus, you know, finding out your dog has cancer or, you know, a a loved one in your family is, you know, passes unexpectedly, is, you know, certain aspects of Eastern cultures, to a degree, they look at them all the same, that it is all life. So, you know, and they recognize that all life has value. So, yes, they're going to crush the cockroach when they see it because they don't want disease spread amongst their family or their their home or their office or whatever. But it's not a senseless death. Yes, it had a purpose. And people may not walk around unless, you know, you're a Jainist, you know, follower, but you know, even people who have this of awareness aren't walking around saying, thank you, cockroach, for your contribution to the world. But that does exist in, in their mental model of the world, whether they're consciously thinking or not. You know, and you do see it to some degree in the West very rarely. I I know several people who hunt, and I actually know two of them Mm -hmm. when they hunt. I I don't think they would, you know, there are very few people they would probably ever acknowledge this to. But I wouldn't call it something like a Christian-type prayer. But, you know, they eat what they hunt. They don't hunt for pure sport. You know, but they, they thank the animal for what it gave them. You know, they're acknowledging the value of that life force. And yes, that they, they took it, but that comes back to, you know, stasis is death. Everything about existence is a reaction, a transition from point A to point B. And everything in that transition plays a role as either um, being consumed or consuming something whether you're talking about a chemical reaction or a, a tiger and it's prey in the jungle. It, it's more or less the exact same thing. So you're driving your car down the road. Well, in this case, you know, sorry, the bugs on the windshield, you know, they're being consumed by, you know, your reaction of driving the car. It's, you, know, you, can, you can take it all the way down as, you know, you're a hunter you kill the deer, you're going to take it home and eat it. Okay. You know, that's where I, I think it probably gets a little more difficult for some people to conceptualize because it can be the exact same action, but what's internal, your internal state is what makes the difference. You know, to use the hunting example, the guy who's like, yeah, you know, Hey, I just killed the deer and I got this massive rack and it's just a chunk of meat. Who cares? That's one internal state versus the other who is, Yes, uh you know, I, I like the rack. I will probably put it on my wall. I can appreciate that. But, you know, thank you for giving your life, you know. You played a role here and I played my role. I, I did take your life, I acknowledge that, and I will honor that by you know, making good use of you as the resource you are. Beating myself, donating the meat, whatever.
0: Yeah, it it almost goes to the argument of not necessarily to the intensity of maybe in the east you know like you were saying but it does kind of go back to if you're going to treat one thing as life then you need to basically treat it all as life you could almost argue and there's many people that would not agree with me on this that if you're going to freak out about a family member passing and you hit a dog on the way home from work. You better be freaking out about that a little bit too, because in theory, as you said, oh, it's not the same. Well, it kind of is the same because one thing was alive and now it's not. And hunting is a good example because you know I hunt, and I don't do it as much anymore just because of the, um, just because of the area around here. You have to be pretty specific. But you know I hunt with the bow. And it took me years to get my first animal because it's extremely difficult with the bow. But I remember thinking the whole time because I had some people I hunted with that were, I wouldn't say that they were just sport. They were very much about the meat and they ate it all year and all this. But they may, you know, some may take shots that weren't the best shots, which could hurt the animal. And I had one situation once where the animal heard me, took the shot. Didn't kill the animal, but I know it hurt the animal and I didn't like that. I remember thinking, you know, I'm not going to be the type of hunter that's doing it for like selfies and freaking social media. Like I just don't understand that you're out there and you're harvesting the animal to eat. And the first pig that I ever got, I remember getting the animal and I gave the meat to basically everyone I knew. I remember my, um, You know, nieces and nephews were eating it. And I just felt it felt good because, hey, you're, you know, you're providing for families, even though you can go to the store, but where do you think the store gets it from? So it was a good feeling. But there was always, and like I said, this was years before I was in any of this stuff. And I could just remember thinking, it's not right to be treating aunt whoever who passed away is the worst thing in the world. But then you can shoot and throw arrows. You know, you, you need to you don't have to freak out about both, but you as you said, you have to have the correct context about both. And if you're a hunter, let's say, and your context is I'm trying to eat and live and I respect this animal, that even in the esoteric teachings, they say, Okay, that's okay. Your context. But if your context is this is awesome, this is great, let me go get a machine gun and shoot fish in a barrel, which actually happened. I went on a hunt, um, and the guy who owned the land had a freezer and it was full of all these pigs. And I said, What's the deal with that? And he goes, Oh, some guys, literally, these were just big money guys, came by, shot a bunch of animals, didn't want to eat them. You know, I can remember thinking, That is the <laughs> most jacked up thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's. It's really that's, those are weak men because you're just trying to prove that you could pull a trigger, which anybody can pull a trigger. But the point is, is it, like you said, there has to be some sort of context for death itself. If you're able to step on a ant and feel nothing, but then when you get a bad phone call, you feel all this stuff. So you really don't know anything about life or death is the way that I would take that.
1: Well, you know, I was kind of long-winded and rambling there before, but I, I think you boiled it down to one word, and that is respect. There are two aspects here. One is respect for life, but, you know, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. <laughs> you never know which one you're going to be. In uh, You know, granted, as human beings, more often than not, we will be the windshield, but it is still entirely possible for any of us to be the bug at any given moment on any given day and you'll never see it coming so just that general respect for life is yes i'm i'm going to get rid of the ants when they try to invade my house in the spring but it's not you know oh my god i have to go poison every little insect i see you know like some people are like dude you're turning your house into a toxic waste dump what are you doing Yeah, Uh, yeah you know like clean up don't leave food crumbs, and. Do what you need to do, but you know only to get to your objective of I need a clean house that's not infested with ants, um, or you know whatever it may be. Um, I'm going fishing. Okay, I mean you know, and that not to get too far afield here, but fishing is actually an interesting one, and there's I've noticed there's actually been discussion about it um, going on for the last year or two. Is catch a uh, excuse me catch and release. In most, not in all cases. In most cases, in fishing, is some huge percent of the fish die just due to the damage done to them. So if you have it, it's interesting. It's an interesting problem that if popular culture, at least in the West, oh well, you know, it's the fish is on the hook. You take it off, you throw it back, and you know nobody's worse to the wear, right? You know that that's the sentiment anyway. But you know, it it turns out. Um, I don't know why they looked, but apparently they started looking at it and they started figuring out that a large percent of those fish actually end up dying due to infection or damage or being, you know, being handled roughly, whatever. So it, it's an an interesting thing. If you go through life looking at the life around you from a position of respect, you know, uh, it's, it's going to change how you interact. You know, it, you're not going to see the world entirely differently, but <clears throat> I, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to pump myself up by any means. You know, anybody could have done this. Uh, it was about a year ago. I ended up getting a ticket. And and to this day, honestly, it I, I feel annoyed when I think about this. Um, I was actually on my way to work going through a crazy intersection and there was a freaking kitten in the middle, middle of the intersection just kind of running a few feet each way because it was, you know, didn't know what to do. and was trying not to get run over. I put my flashes over and on and just pulled into the middle, middle of the intersection and stopped my car and then, you know, got out and grabbed the kitten. But, uh, a, a cop was sitting across the street watching the whole thing and ended up giving me a, a ticket for uh well, it wasn't reckless driving, but for whatever. And it was not cheap. Wow. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I, I'm like, you saw what I was doing. I'm like, like a yeah. good
0: Samaritan. <laughs> He's like you
1: could have you could have caused a major accident gotten yourself killed i'm like i just stopped talking at that point because it, it wasn't yeah getting there's no well point well for me yeah. so i'm like meanwhile you know i got this little kitten on my seat that just pissed all over it because you know it's still losing its <laughs> mind it doesn't know what's going on yeah. and i'm just like okay i'm like and you know like i'm it's trying to get out because it, you know, it's still, I don't know, it probably thinks I was going to eat it or something. It's losing its mind.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. But just I, from that
1: perspective, I'm like, go ahead.
0: No, I just, I remember a few times when I've been out driving through the mountains and you'll see animal like turtles or something trying to cross the road. And it's like, you know, what do you, it's just the right thing to do. You know, you don't have to be some tree hugging, you know, freak, but it's like, come on, you know, things that's just, just another version of kind of giving back to the universe. You know, I think dudes get, get kind of the ego involved and, you know, obviously everyone's an alpha nowadays, or they at least think they are (laughs) and they can't, you know, do this stuff and they don't like it or who cares. I I mean, I've been with buddies before, same thing. You know, they'll see something run across the road and, oh, who cares? But, yeah, you know, th- this is just, it's like we're saying, this is just things that are the, it's just the right thing to do. You know, you don't have to get all spiritual and esoteric to know that everything is connected in some way. So if you're the guy that's always running the turtle over, running the cat over, I think one day it's going to come back to you. I think that's pretty safe to say that something's going to come back your way and what's the point? You know, especially with animals that really most of them don't want anything, you know, they're not trying to do anything bad to you, at least the normal ones. So, you know, it's an interesting topic because it, I feel like in nature, it's very simple. I feel like it's very obvious. I think it's cyclic. I think that the animals know. And, you know, that's another point I was going to bring up is sometimes I feel like animals are the, you know, ultimate initiates because on one hand you say, okay, it's survival. Like with the one with the picture of the deer being attacked for her kids and you say, okay, well it's survival. I mean, it's in their genes. It actually makes sense. I mean, they, they have to keep the herd going. And if one person can go down, so two can live, that's, you know, to keep the species going very simple, very, you know, very scientific in a way. That's how they would study it. But then sometimes I think, well, maybe these animals know some stuff we don't know. Because the way that they deal with things in nature are very straight to the point. It's how we would deal with them if we weren't full of emotion and intellect. You know, I, I, there's a, I think it's a stoic quote, but you could see it just on the freaking TV You know, a deer runs away from its prey in the minute or from the predator. And the minute the predator is out of sight, they just go back to eating. They're not still thinking about what just happened. And it's interesting because that's how we should be living our lives. But we don't. We do the exact opposite. I remember seeing some show about the Himalayas or something. I don't know what was about, but this, an animal had a young animal, Behind it, it was walking across some stream or something like that. And they were walking. The small animal fell in the stream, wiped away. There's no way it lived. The water was moving too fast. The animal looked back, saw that it was gone, and went back to eating grass. And you don't look at that as some, you know, what the hell, animals are stupid. No, I think they are, I think they know some things we don't know. And they know that there's no point to hang on to things. They know that death is what it is. And we see it in nature all the time. So, you know, that that's kind of the other angle to this is, you know, I I think nature, quote-unquote, knows. I think the animals know. And even though we're a part of it, we don't seem to know a damn thing.
1: Uh, you know, one challenge we have as humans, as a group, is... I'm being loose with my terms here. Our ability to see the future, it, it, you know, not as in Nostradamus, but our ability to, generally speaking, project 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future, you know, generations into the future. It makes things a lot more complicated. And if you don't have a solid internal model, you know, of the world, you know, life, death, what's significant, what's not, you know, what's noise, what's not. And then you start trying to live in the future, which is what most people do. And even those who are more esoteric or awake or whatever term you want to use, you know, maybe there's a version of the world where you don't have to, but in the current version of the world, pretty much wherever you may live, you essentially have to live in the future to some point. especially if you have a family. So the key to that I think, and this comes back to you know your observation with animals and the difference is they largely don't have to really live much in the future. Some animals have you know to the best of our understanding little to no ability to shall we say project into the future whereas other animals show the ability to have a fair amount. Elephants are actually one. Um, Certain dogs uh, apparently have a, you know, a surprising degree of that ability for being dogs, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way. But even then, you know, it's, the more complex your existence is, the more problematic living in the future is, and the more sound your internal model has to be to be able to do that without burying yourself. So in the case of the dog you'll know, say the dog has some basic to moderate capability of it's not going to think in the same terms as we do but it's thinking okay seasons are going to change i you know i need to dig a den i need to find a herd i can be near okay great that's not that complex i mean they're life and death decisions but they're not that complex compared to us now most of our decisions are ultimately meaningless and trivial but that doesn't change the fact that it's still a large degree of complexity that we're juggling in our, in our mind, you know, in our being every day of, all right, I have to be at the office at this time, the dentist at this time. Um, You know um, this client's pissed off. I got to deal with that. Um, You know, I'm having an argument with my neighbor over the property line. Um, I'm going to have to get that dealt with. Um, You know, The car is about to go down. I got to make sure I got to find money because I got to get that fixed. It's, that's a lot more complex than do it. I got to make sure I find a den or dig one and I have to be near a food source before winter. It's just, it's such a (laughs) chance. And I I think that is, you know, another way to look at what you're pointing out is that, yeah, they they see it a, a lot cleaner than we do. Um, Part of that, I think, is due to, like, polarity nails it. You know, humanity's, do you call it, ability, skill to project into the future in the way we do, which the world we live in, if you don't realize it, you know, your car, your cell phone, your house, planes, trains, bus, roads, sanitation, every, almost every single aspect of your life exists because humanity essentially lives in the future in their head because all the stuff you learned in school, it took hundreds or thousands of years for, you know, all your ancestors to learn and then to compress it and pass it on time and time again until here you are, but it's a double-edged sword. It's polarity. So the positive, we'll say positive and negative respectively. The positive side of that polarity is that you can take, countless lessons from countless numbers of people yeah. and essentially compress them into one set of knowledge and pass essentially the knowledge of hundreds or thousands of generations onto a single individual. Uh, if you think of the actual power of that, that we take for absolute granted and have no real you know, acknowledgement of, it's really kind of astounding. But the the flip side to that is that that very easily and very often entirely disconnects you from the present, which now that immediately leads you into that nasty little loop of what's the point, because if you have no awareness of your present and it doesn't have a significance to you there, you know,
0: there is no point. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: To say, I'm just going to collect knowledge and pass it on. Well, uh, you know, for most people, there's no point in
0: that. Yeah, I think I think our survival has shifted to more of like a production thing. It's I Can't Sit Still, which is driven by an old-school survival mechanism, but it's turned into an easy version of productivity. You know, it, it's, it's kind of spun into something else. I mean, I think we all have a fear of death, but I think that we kind of look at it the wrong way. Because I, I remember I went on kind of a deep dive. Um, and I don't think I ever even put it out there, but I wrote some long thing about life and death after my grandfather had passed. And I was I was kind of starting this path and I was already like, you know, hundreds of books down. I was really going in it. And I bought this one book. And I can't remember the name of it, but basically the person was an investigative journalist, not religious, not spiritual, basically didn't care at all about any of that stuff. And just said, I'm basically going to take all the facts and all the data that's out there of these people that are reporting um, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, pretty much they were all... Or reincarnation stuff where kids are being born and they're like, oh, I was a World War II pilot. And people are like, what the hell? And then they take (laughs) them and then they jump on a boat, take them overseas, and they pick the exact place where a guy with their same name or whatever died. You know, like basically, and then stuff in the hospitals where people are pronounced dead and they remember what people have said, you know, after they were dead, or they can see the serial number on the drill that was used to cut them open. So basically, it's just I feel like the emotional people or the religious or the the fully spiritual would say, oh, it means this. But the bottom line of what it means is we don't know everything. That's what it means. There are things that while we could say we know what they mean, you know, that there's consciousness after death. There's essentially a power line it runs above everyone like in a neighborhood and we are are like a cell phone tower the tower is the source and we're the cell phones and we just connect to them and some go in some go out the batteries go dead you know you can look at it like that others say it's it's devil stuff because of god doesn't allow it doesn't matter the point is that there's something going on in let's just say the space of death and we don't understand it and I can't remember exactly how she tried to end it or kind of what the final thesis was because this was a while at this point. But it was basically that. So it was that we can't explain everything. There's something going on. And if you were to look at a lot of this data, there is something that is beyond, you know, the body or the material life or whatever it is. So my kind of... You know, to kind of sum this up is I feel like my view on life is if you aren't in death is if you aren't living it properly, you will be afraid of death. And I've had my my things with death, if you want to call it that, you know, worries, this and that some that I've talked about with you guys and all this back back when a little bit and everyone has it. But it's one of those situations where, in kind of the end goal of it all, if that's how you would say it is, I think that there's something more going on. But I also kind of think that it won't really matter once you hit that point. I kind of think of Hawkins, where, you know, he would kind of make those comments like, well, you know, if you're here, you're here. If you're not supposed to be here, you're not supposed to be here. So just go already. You know, he was funny. He just just said it straight (laughs) out. But there's definitely a part of me that thinks that if it hits that point, if it hits that time, when you're at the final door or whatever you want to call it, I really don't think you're going to care, number one. But you better be sure, at least from a material perspective, that you've done everything you can leading up to that point as far as what you wanted to do I I don't think there's a perfect path but I think I would say there is something beyond it but it all depends on kind of how you want to describe it I feel like in dangerous situations or like with what after what uh with what happened after with my mom I feel like I was given kind of some of that mystery you know some of those mysteries some of that knowledge subjectively because there were some weird stories after that happened that you can't explain but just the fact of not being able to explain it all seems to kind of answer the question if you know what i mean
1: i do um and uh i think you nailed a critical point i just want to touch on real quick I, i won't go too far here is that especially having children but you know anybody who's listening to this listen really pay attention to the conversations of people around you and that you have directly with people for a few days or a week or so because you when you know to look for it you're going to find something interesting that you know to me was surprising to a degree almost shocking um when I first really noticed it for what it was <clears throat> and you see it even more so in children, which is kind of sad, is that the interactions of most people are in almost entirely predicated on fear. Yep. Even yep. children who have a perfectly happy life, you know, they're, they have a warm bed, plenty of food, you know, they don't have any social or family issues. Their biggest issue is, do I get to have ice cream tonight? Even kids in that situation, if you really listen to their discussions, um, actually, a, a, a good quick example is Jason. Something you and I were talking about. I trained martial arts. I was training the other night. Afterwards, talking to my instructor, and he's mentioning, you know, he uh, he has fought uh, semi-professionally off and on for a while, and you know, just mentioning like uh, his neck and his one elbow is just so messed up from you know fighting and training. You know, it beats your body up. And uh, you know, I mentioned some peptides, which are good for healing, to him. And you know, he's he's very much a, a mainstream person for his his perceptions, or with regard to esoterica and things like that, or even just outside the mainstream medical community. Um, you know, he's actually looking at having surgery, and I'm like, dude, you, you don't need knee surgery. Here's the names of some peptides. Go do your own research. Don't don't take my word for it, but go do your research, and then I can give you you know legitimate sources to get this stuff from, and you know read the read the info. It'll tell you you don't need surgery. That you know in six weeks you can be pretty much good to go. And just his response was one based on fear. Like not nah, no nah, man. He's like you know that sounds too much like like steroids or something. And he's like I, that I don't know. That just doesn't sound right. That my doctor's not telling me that if that's, if it's that good, I said, okay. And no, let's be frank. He's not going to go read any of it. His response no. was purely based in fear and that's fine. That that's his choice. And I dropped it. I'm, I'm not going to proselytize to him. Just gave me the information he has to make his own choice, but bringing this back to death is you have to realize, you know, you know, I've mentioned this to you before, and this is another great example. Um, you know, if I'm just feeling burnt or if I just need to kind of, you know, regroup, I take a walk in the dark in the woods, me and my dog. And we don't use any lights. It's just much more peaceful without any light. You know, you give yourself three or four minutes, as you well know, and you can see perfectly fine in the dark, even in the middle of the woods. And, you know, me and my dog will just go sit in the woods at night for an hour or so. And, you know, it's funny, even my kids are, are like aren't you scared? And like my one neighbor's like, dude, you're crazy. And I'm like, the biggest, baddest thing, number one, the biggest, baddest thing that lives in the area that I live in are black bears. And realistically, unless they're sick or there's something else going on a black bear isn't a threat to you. And you know, if you have any degree of awareness, you're not going to get yourself in that situation anyway. So I realistically, there's nothing out there to be scared of. I'm not going to go do that on African Savannah, you know, it's the real world. That would be suicide. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it. why am I scared? Okay, it's dark. Uh, Okay, you know, maybe I get you know, I've had an opossum basically sneak up on me before. Okay, (laughs) so what? Like, you know what, dude? Go on your way. I'm not going to bother you. It's, you know, the other day, once again, the dog and I are sitting in the woods. He actually lays. He'll explore for a little bit, and then he just lays at my feet pretty much perfectly quietly and just kind of, if I sit there for a while, he'll actually doze. And he was dozing and some wild turkeys came up on us. We were sitting so quiet. and Once again, like why are you like, I've actually started taking my children with me sometimes when I go out at night like that. Because, you know, now that I've noticed that so many of people's interactions are predicated in fear, I'm like, one of the best things I can do for my children is teach them to work around that and taking a walk at night in the dark in the woods. I mean, think about that, you know, almost any child I've ever come across or ever heard of. And to some degree you could say it's instinctual predator, prey response sort of thing, you know, is if not outright scared, at least uncomfortable in the dark, you know, especially outside of their house, like in the woods or something like that. So I'll take them with me and I'm like, we're just going to sit quietly, sit on my lap. So, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm here to protect you. And, you know, here's a flashlight in your palm. You can turn on if you just really get too uncomfortable, but it's, you know, you got to work through that fear because whether you want to say it's inborn into us or whether it's a learned behavior or whatever, especially coming back to life and death is what's after death. Uh, some people say they know, and as you've saying, well, you know, it, for the most part it's a big question mark you know you you can probably say if you've done a lot of reading or meditating you can probably say i think i have a good idea you certainly don't know no nobody walking around breathing right now can say that you can say you have a good idea but the difference is accepting the unknown without fear it, it's no different than well, again, coming back to martial arts is the first few times you actually compete where you know the other person has no problem hurting you, like they're not going to pull that punch at the last second, they're going to drive it through your skull given the chance because they want to win. Like I've been there, and no matter how big you know, is, I'm not a little guy. And it's still scary the first few times, but by accepting that and working through it, you let go of the fear. And it really does change the nature of a lot of your – external interactions as well as your internal interactions within your own self.
0: Yeah. And and in a lot of ways, it answers the question of what to do. And, you know, that's what we'll end it on is you really, excuse me, you really are in the position you're in as far as death because of fear. As they say, most people, everything in their life they say is the foundation of it is being you know the fear of death survival but it's interesting because if you put yourself in a place where you're not afraid of it it doesn't mean like as Hawkins said it's not that you're not cautious but you're just not living constantly in fear that's when you actually live a life and I think the polar which and if you're living a life then the kind of outcome of what life is going to be, what's going to happen after doesn't really matter. It's that saying where they say, you, know, you say, you know, slide into home base beat up when you're done because then it doesn't really matter. And that, I feel like that my philosophy, kind of the last point here is my philosophy on death is more or less, it's not going to matter when you hit that point, if you're doing it Right. And there's things that we cannot explain, which tells me that there are things, I don't like to use the word beyond, because I don't know how you would define that, but there is something beyond the idea of just, well, the lights go out and that's it. Well, there's too many things we can't explain unless every single one of those people or one of those, everything they've documented, which is a lot now, is bullshit. So my main sticking point to the whole thing is if you're doing things right, it's not going to matter. And right is really more or less experience. It's not living in the now like you hear in all these cool books. It's actual literally just living. You know, you want to go outside tomorrow and climb a tree, climb a damn tree. You want to go do this, just, just go do it. Because if you're doing what you want to do within reason and you're not a scumbag – then it's not going to matter when that time comes. So anyway, Nick, thanks for coming on again. And probably have to do a part two on this one because this is a a pretty big topic. But um, yeah, so thanks for coming on. And uh, guys, we will see you next time. This episode of the Painted Target podcast was brought to you by Awareness Integrations. Only you care about your problems. The Painted Target is also sponsored by Grave Delay Athletics. Apparel that says I'm going to live well and cheat death.